Well, again, we're so excited that you are here at Mile City Online. I hope you're just grateful today to be alive, to be breathing. And we are continuing in our series, Mark on Rewind, as we're going backwards uh, through the book of Mark. We just got a few more weeks left of this. And we've been on Rewind, remember, with a purpose. Uh, We've been on purpose on Rewind because we've been looking at this book through the lens of the resurrection, remembering this real truth that these are real historical events with real people that actually lived and were imagining and asking the question, now, in light of the resurrection, how has their lives might have shifted or changed? Which, I was thinking about Rewind this week, and I was going through some old VHS tapes in my house, and I came across this you know, musical gem that I wanted to share with you. And let me set this up a little bit, because before I share this, I would like to call this a double rewind, okay? Now, what's a double rewind? A a, a double rewind is what we're going to do is we're going to rewind back to my wedding video. But then during my wedding, my sister surprised Jen and I with a rewind back to when I was nine years old where I videotaped myself with the old big camera recorders and I put headphones on and I was rocking out to the one and only Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, you know, written by Dolly Parton, okay? And so just let's... Let's just go ahead and just enjoy this moment. Here, here we go. Look at how beautiful she looks. Memories, that is all I'm taking with me. So goodbye. Please don't cry. We both know I'm not what you Give it a rest, Travis. Give it a rest. You're welcome for that. I can still hear my mom in the background literally saying, give it a rest, Travis. Give it a rest. But I just kept going. I just kept going. I think the next song was actually Free Willy, Michael Jackson, like Hold Me Like a River Jordan. Okay, that's that's for another time. But I I bring that up today as we rewind back to Mark chapter 2 and 3 is the theme, the topic for us that we're going to hear from Jesus is give it a rest. Wherever you're watching, I just want to encourage you to just shout that out loud. Give it a rest. Turn to the person next to you if you're watching with someone. Give it a rest. And what we're going to see is this is a command that we're supposed to do. This is a command that we're supposed to give it a rest. And not just because someone else told you or because your mama told you, but because God tells us to give it a rest. Now, I also know that today we live in a world where a lot of people are resting a whole lot where I hear workers and people talking all the time, business owners saying, man, I can't get anyone to work. No one wants to work. No one wants to work. And so if you happen to fall into that category today, then this message is going to be really easy because it's going to just be this moment right here. Then you can click off and you don't have to watch the rest of the message, okay? Because you already rest all the time. And if you're someone in your mind where you're like, you know what, I'd rather just, you know, you know, let the government take care of me or my parents take care of me for the rest of my life. If you're cool with that, here's the message I truly believe God has for you. You ready for it? Listen to it. Here's what it is. Simple as this. 
get a job. That's right. That's the message for you. You can click off. Literally, get a job. We were designed, we were created with minds. It's a privilege to be able to work. It's a gift that we're able to work. Even before, um, the, the, when God created the heavens and the earth, before the fall, before sin came into the world, God created work for us to enjoy. And so it's really, really important to be careful to not be lazy. As Proverbs thirteen four reminds us of this truth that lazy people want much, but they get little. But those who work hard will prosper. Remember, if you're lazy, if you don't want to work, it's sinful. And so it's important to get that out of your system, get that out of your life, and be a hard worker. So, now, I know that the majority of you listening, you're not lazy. You are hard workers. And so now the rest of the message is going to be very, very difficult for you, as I know it is for me as I was writing this message this week and convicting for me, is that we're going to learn the importance of how we are supposed to take a rest. And it's not a suggestion. It is a command. But the problem is, is that we don't know how to turn it off. We don't know how to stop working with our hands. We don't know how to stop working with our mind. And it's very, very difficult for us to take a break to take rest, and to have a Sabbath. And so um, today, as we go through this talk, I just want to remind you that we're going to see that if we don't take a rest, that it can be harmful to us, but not only harmful to us, but we're going to be reminded that it's sinful. But before we rewind and go back to this text, as we see from Jesus reminding us of this truth, I just want to pause and rest in his presence and talk to him and then we'll go. So, Father, I just ask that you would help us all to be willing to hear uh, what you would have for us. Whether we've been following you for thousands of days, just a couple weeks, or maybe we are just exploring you today. I ask that this message of truth uh, would be helpful for all of us. Get me out of the way. And I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want you to open it up to the book of Mark, chapter 2. We are going to be chilling in verse 23, and we're going to be going to chapter 3, stopping at verse 6. Jesus has just called his disciples to come and follow him. And then Jesus, not accidentally, but purposely, begins stirring up the pot of tradition to replace it with truth. And Jesus has done this all the time. He did this all the time when he was here, as he would stir up the pot of tradition to replace it with the truth. And so here we go, uh, starting in verse 23. It says this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. You know, just a little snack, nothing harmless, but we'll see, like, it was, it created a problem. Here's what it says. But the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They were starting to make a big deal that they were plucking grain on the Sabbath. It's not lawful. 
But what we see in Deuteronomy 23:25 is that it was okay for you to do such a thing on the Sabbath. When you're walking into a neighbor's field and you wanted to have a snack, that was okay, but you weren't allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. If you were walking through a vineyard and you wanted a couple grapes, that's fine, but you couldn't start filling up baskets in the vineyard. But however, uh, this became a big contested deal in the Jewish faith because Sabbath was serious. And it was so serious that they got extreme with the details, so much so that they started to add and layers and layers and layers of different laws onto the Sabbath. So much so that we see in the Mishnah law that there's 39, to be exact, different things that you cannot do on the Sabbath. I want to list four of them specifically. It says one that you cannot reap, that you're not supposed to thresh, the rubbing of the grain, no winnowing, which is removing the shaft from the wheat, like blowing it off. You cannot even prepare a meal. And so here in the midst the Pharisees are calling out and seeing Jesus and his disciples in their minds breaking four Sabbath laws, which in their minds, it was like Jesus and his disciples declaring law on their religion or declaring war on their religion and their tradition, which basically it was. That's what Jesus was doing. And he would always blow up tradition when it got into the way of truth. And that's just a little side note for us, that we have to make sure that we don't allow tradition to get in the way of truth. And listen, tradition's good. Tradition's fine. Some of you have been raised Catholic or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Baptist, and there's some traditional things that you love. And sometimes when you're at a modern church like this, it's like you wish you could have some of those things. We have our own traditions now. And as Miles City almost being seven years old. But what we have to make sure is that we never allow a tradition to trump and get in the way of truth. We can't allow a tradition to like make our decisions and, and move our hearts in a direction. No, we need to make sure that we anchor on the truth to be our guide when we're making decisions. And so, then the, the, the passage continues, and it says this in verse 25. He said this, check this out. Sometimes we can skip this over. He said, he said to them, have you never read what David did? Now, a lot of times you could miss this, we can miss this, but here you have Jesus calling out the educated Pharisees saying, hey, do you ever read? <laughs> do you ever read the law? I mean, you're, you're, you guys are supposed to know all this stuff. Do you ever read the Bible? Do you ever read the law? I mean, you should know better. It's right there, which is another sobering little side note for us to make sure that sometimes it can be an insulting question. But seriously, we have to ask ourselves, like, are we diving in? Are we reading it? Because sometimes we wonder if we should know better. Well, we should know better because we should read the law. We should know the truth, which, you know, what is the truth and what isn't the truth. And so this isn't a monthly encounter. This shouldn't be a weekly encounter every time you turn on Miles City Online. This should be a daily encounter. And so make sure you have a plan. And if you've gotten off your plan, get back on the plan. I go on roller coasters all the time. It's so good to make sure that you, you find a plan to dive in daily to God's word. So what does he do? So Jesus is rewinding their minds back to 1 Samuel 21. And this is the story when David is running from King Saul and he ends up in this little village of Nob and him and his friends are famished, they're tired and they're hungry and they couldn't find any bread. And the only bread that they could find was the ceremonial bread, was the show bread that only the priest in the tabernacle could have. And so here's what he says to them. He says, when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, 
and ate the bread of the presence. There's the ceremonial bread, the show bread, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus is making a really clear point, rewinding their minds back to 1 Samuel, rewinding the Pharisees' minds to say, look it, when it comes to meeting people's needs, don't let ceremony get in the way of compassion. Don't let ritual get in the way of relief. I remember a time as a, as a young kid, um, probably, what, 11 or 12, and I was at church all day. So back in the day when I'd go to church with my parents, we'd have Sunday school, we'd have main church. Then sometimes there'd be like choir practice. Then there was Sunday night church at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. And my parents had some other meetings, and we didn't really eat a good lunch, and I was just famished. I was so hungry. And so I start scouring the church, looking through the nursery, trying to find, but the saltine crackers weren't doing it for me, right? So I'm looking around and I'm trying to find some stuff. And, and then there's this back door that I saw in the auditorium open. And I went back there and it was like a feast of all this great bread and juice. And I was like, well, what's the harm? So I started chowing down on communion bread and the juice is like oh, just a little no one's gonna harm sure enough here comes one of the pastors barging through because they were setting up communion for that night and there I am with communion bread stuffing my face in the juice he starts reaming me out starts dragging me to my parents so my parents would ream me out and I wish now reading this that I could have just rewinded that pastor's mind back to first Samuel you know, wouldn't that have been nice? I don't know if it would have changed anything, but I wish I could have just said, like, hey, you know, it's just I'm famished. You know, it's just like, let's not let tradition trump the truth. Anyways, so then Jesus says this. Here's what he says. Then he says, the Sabbath, remember, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is literally like another drop the mic statement by Jesus, one showing his authority that he's over the Sabbath, which really gets their boil running. But then he's reminding them of the beginning of the model. When God created the Sabbath, it's for you. It's not the Sabbath, you know, it's, it's, it's for you. It's the benefit of for you, not the benefit of the Sabbath. Jesus came to lift you from your burden, not to burden you with the Sabbath, but for the Sabbath to be for you. And so, Sabbath is good for you personally. Sabbath is good for me personally. Say that wherever you're at. Sabbath is good for me personally. For us to take a 24-hour period of rest for ourselves. But come on. We know that this is so stinking hard for us to live and do that in our world today. Because we live in a culture where we get rewarded or applauded based on how hard we work and if we can outwork everyone else around us. And, when, and you know, when we talk to people, when we ask people, hey, man, what's going on? How's your week? What's going on? I haven't seen you in a while. How are you going? What do we often hear from, from people? Or what do we often say? Oh, busy. I'm just busy. I tried for a while to take busy out of my vocabulary, but like, come on. Oh, I'm just busy. Just so stinking busy. Our Japanese church planter and I were talking, Maki, and he told me that the word busy in Japanese is this word. <laughs> I'm going to mess this up. Uh, isokashi. Let's just, okay, isokashi. This is the word isokashi. But what's interesting is that the symbols of this two word, the word to make busy, you know where it comes from? It comes from these two words, heart, and this word here, to lose or to kill. 
So when you say busy in Japanese, you're actually literally putting two words together that says, kill your heart. So maybe we should start saying the next time someone comes up to us and we're like, hey, what's going on this week? You're like, man, I've just been killing my heart, man. I've been just killing it. I mean, literally just destroying myself. Just been literally losing control of my heart. Because when we're so busy and when we don't take a rest, we literally can be killing ourselves. The American Institute of Stress reported 120,000 people die every year as a direct result of stress. Healthcare reports shows $190 billion of an average cost for work-related stress issues. When we don't break, when we don't Sabbath, when we don't rest, what happens? Actually, productivity goes down, mistakes go up, and moral crashes start flying everywhere. Rest is not a luxury. Rest is a necessity. Rest is not a luxury, but rest is a necessity. And science has proved that to us. That when we have great rhythms of rest, what does it do? It slows our heart. It helps with digestion. It lowers our blood pressure. It releases brain endorphins. It boosts our immune systems. Creativity expands, and it helps us make decisions. And I don't think it's by accident that one of the famous psalms out there that many of you could actually quote, let's put it up, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Notice it doesn't say, he he wants me to lie down in green pastures. No, no, no. Or uh, he suggests that we lie down in green pastures. No, no, no. It says that he makes. This isn't a suggestion. This is a command by our creator, by our designer. And so, When was the last time that you took a full 24-hour day Sabbath? And I'm not just talking about your day off work from your job, but on your day off work from your job, you actually stopped working. When was the last time you truly did that? Continues in verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Now, could it be that the Pharisees purposely placed this man who needed healing because they knew Jesus was going to have compassion on him and he was going to heal on the Sabbath and he wasn't supposed to to try to trap him? It's possible. We're not quite sure. Um, But what we do know is that Jesus is going to purposely heal him. He could have waited to heal him after the Sabbath, but he's going to purposely heal this man. We're going to see right here in this spot. Again, reminding that you can't let tradition uh, trump the truth. And so another thing that this shows us is that Sabbath is good for us relationally. Say that with me. Sabbath is good for me relationally. Because you see, this man shows up. And as he took rest, he shows up to the synagogue. And because he was taking rest, he was showing up in the moment and he met Jesus. In the same way, Jesus was in the synagogue on that day. And because he was taking time for the Sabbath and he was taking rest, he too ran into the moment with this man that maybe he wouldn't have run into in that moment if he wouldn't have shown up. Deuteronomy reminds us when it talks about the Sabbath in chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. I'm not going to go there, but it reminds us how the Sabbath is important for our kids, for our spouse, and for those who work with you, and even for your animals. It's the idea that how the Sabbath feeds all of our relationships. 
Taking rest, taking a Sabbath. It's so true. I mean, you know, I mean, I know this from my own life. It helps us be better parents. Taking rest, taking a Sabbath helps you be a better spouse. Taking Sabbath, taking rest helps you be a better friend. Taking Sabbath, taking rest helps you be a better neighbor. To slow down so you actually can see your neighbors around you. The, the, the ability for us to, to check out from our busyness so that we can check into the people that actually matter and to be present so that they can actually notice that we actually see them. To unplug from those things so that we can plug into the people around us that matter. To literally let your emails and to let your text go unopened so that you can open up the real conversations that are most important for you to be investing into. Isn't it crazy, parents, how our jobs that we work so hard at to provide and to invest into our kids can be the very thing that can keep us from actually providing and investing in our kids and what they really need, which is us. I struggle with this all the time. I struggle with this all the time. I, I go, I'm a roller coaster with this thing. Because obviously all of us, our work is so tied to this. And, you know, it's a gift, but it's a curse at the same time, right? And so I have this rhythm where I go home and I try my best to, like, put this on the up counter so that when I come in, I'm not by it, and I can be engaged and be present with my kids. And then on my day off, I try to do the same thing. But then what happens? What happens? What happens is I want to go look up something or um, I, I check the weather. And as soon as I go and check the weather, I get dinged. And then I go on this rabbit trail of work that takes me off in this whole direction. And then what do I hear in the background? Daddy, throw the ball. Daddy, 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 come on. Come on, we're waiting for you. We're waiting for you. We're waiting for you. Daddy, daddy, we're waiting for you. Maybe I'm not the only one. Sabbath is good for you relationally. Sabbath is good for me relationally. It continues. So the Pharisees think that they got Jesus tracked right where they want him, but Jesus actually has them right where he wanted them. Here's what it says. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Every time they tried to trap him, he would tongue-tie him. I love that. He literally was saying to them this idea of, who said that you can't help someone on the Sabbath? I never said that. God never said that. You came up with that. Again, reminding them, don't let ritual trump relief. Don't let ceremony trump compassion. Don't let tradition trump truth. And then it says that he looked around at them with anger. He was frustrated and he grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now, when he said stretch out your hand, this could have been an insulting thing to say into the room. I mean, it'd literally be like telling someone who, hadn't been, who hasn't been able to walk their whole life, say, hey, get up, hurry up, let's go, hurry up, let's go. But he says, stretch out your hand. And it says, though, the withered man, what does it say? That he stretched out his hand. And as he stretched out his hand, it says that his hand was restored. His hardened, locked up hand was softened. And it was restored. 
And everyone looked around in the synagogue and was amazed by this miracle. And I got to wonder, in light of the resurrection, how many people rewinded back to this moment after knowing what Jesus did on the cross and how Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross and allowed nails to be shoved through his hands. I wonder if the withered man, I wonder if the withered man now, when he would look at his hand in light of the resurrection stretched out, that he would not only now know that Jesus not only healed him physically, but because he stretched out his hand on the cross for him, it healed him spiritually. Not only that, in light of the resurrection, you know what else the resurrection did? The resurrection for Jesus followers who believed in Jesus literally rocked their entire rhythm of their weeks. It rocked their calendar. Why? Because the Sabbath day for Jewish people, Saturday, the seventh day of the week. But in Acts, we see that that shifted for Jesus' followers and they started to worship and take rest and take Sabbath on the first day of the week on Sunday. And so now that that has, that has now happened, and, and I mean, think about it, their whole rhythm, their whole weeks were literally like just completely turned upside on their heads because of the resurrection. Now, sometimes people can get caught up on this. Maybe you even get caught up on this watching that, well, Technically, we're supposed to take Sabbath on Saturday. And so if it's not on Saturday, then it's a sin and we're doing this wrong. And I hope that you're hearing Jesus. Don't get wrapped up into the legalism of the day. Because in fact, if you actually think this Saturday was the day to have Sabbath, it actually could have been Tuesday. Because the calendars that were back then are now long gone lost, and we don't even know what Saturday was to them back then and what it is for us today. What Jesus is saying is don't worry about the specific day. Worry about actually doing it. Take that 24-hour, I mean, today's Sunday. I'm not on Sabbath. I'm working. So I take my Sabbath on Friday. And sometimes it doesn't work. So sometimes I take my Sabbath from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon. I do a full 24 hours that way. The point is, is that we need to actually do it and take the break and take the rest. Don't get caught up in the legalism of it. So the Sabbath is not only good for me personally, The Sabbath is not only good for me relationally, but the Sabbath is good for me and you spiritually. The Sabbath is good for me spiritually. Say that. The Sabbath is good for me spiritually. I love how Wayne Mueller says it like this. It's a great reminder. Sabbath is more than just a day to catch up on TV and errands. Rather, it is a time when we take our hands from the plow and let God and the earth he created care for things while we drink, if only for a few moments from the fountain of rest and delight. Sabbath is a time for us to recharge spiritually for our souls to connect with our creator God. It's literally like a moment of intermission to take some strategic time and to be in his presence like you're doing right now. Taking part of your day right now to just literally focus on your spiritual walk with Christ. Focus on the relationships and your personal health. And I know some of you are like, you know, I have no idea how you think I'm going to do this. 
I, I, how do you, I have so much on my plate. There are not enough hours in the day for me to get everything done. And you're telling me that I'm supposed to rest, that I'm supposed to work? I know. It is hard to do. I have had to fight, and I still have to fight to do this. I mean, I, the, the, I, have, I have been scrutinized for doing it. I have people be like, what are you doing? You're crazy. It's just you got to get what you got to do done. But here's what we have to remember. If God, our creator of the universe, did it, and he told us to do it, then we should do it too. And remember, it's one of the Big Ten. The Big Ten Commandments, Exodus 20.11. Let's read it. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Why did God rest? You think he was tired? You think, you think he needed the rest? I don't think so. I personally believe God rested because it was enough. It was enough. Enough is enough. That's all it needed to be. And if God said it, and he did it, then we should do it too. And we need to trust him that it's enough and to let go and say that you're my provider. All that I have is from you anyways. And I have what I have is because of you. So it's enough for now. And when we do that, resting, what does resting do? It shows us that you are trusting. Resting shows that you are trusting that he is enough and that he will give you enough. May we not be so arrogant to think that we got to do more when the creator of the universe said, mm -mm, enough's enough. So, are you taking a Sabbath? Are you recharging? When is your Sabbath? Let's go to the next one. When is your Sabbath? Are you taking advantage of your Sabbath? Are you manipulating it? Or are you actually resting? Remember, it's good for you. It's so good for you. It's good for you personally, for your health. It's good for all of your relationships that mean the most to you. And they're good for you spiritually as you keep moving towards God. Where might you need to amp up your Sabbath, your rest? Last thing, last thought. Mark chapter 3, verse 6. We'll close it here. This is sad. It says that the Pharisees went out after they saw this amazing miracle. You'd think they'd be like believing at this time. But no. It says that they went out immediately and they gathered a meeting. They said, let's have a meeting about this. We're going to have a council with the Herodians against him for how they could destroy Jesus. The man, the withered man's hand was hardened and then God opened it up to be soft, beautiful. The hearts of the Pharisees, even though they saw the evidence of Jesus and the authority of the power that he had, and yet their hearts were still hardened and did not become soft, which was way, way worse. And so here's another question for you. Is your heart hardened towards Jesus? 
He's shown off time and time again, miracle after miracle, who he is. There's so much evidence of who he is that he loves you so much, that he wants a real relationship with you so much that he came and he died to take away this, your sin and my sin and then rose from the dead. I mean, he literally loved you so much that he stretched out his hand to pay the penalty for your sin. Have you ever got to the point to allow your heart not to be hardened, but to be soft and to receive Jesus as your savior? Listen, if you, if you don't find spiritual rest in Jesus, you will ultimately never find physical rest. Or another way of saying it is like this. You can't truly rest on the Sabbath until you truly rest your identity in Jesus. It's true. You'll always be restless. Without Jesus being your identity, you will always be restless. And not only here earthly, but you will be restless for eternity. And it will be a restlessness that is unimaginable but it doesn't have to be that way. He made it very clear that all who come to me will find rest. Rest in the arms of Jesus. Come to Jesus today. And if you haven't, then I wanna lead you through a real prayer. It's not by your behavior, it's by your belief where you can find that rest in Christ. So wherever you're listening, I just invite you to close your eyes, bow your head, maybe even open up your hands up to just say, I'm open now, God. I don't want to have a hard heart towards you. And so wherever you're listening, just, just say this prayer to him. Just say, Father, soften my heart. I'm tired of being restless. I want to find my rest in you, Jesus. I believe, Jesus, that you are God. I don't understand it all, but I believe you're God. I don't know why I can't, I don't know why you do it, but thank you for dying for me. Thank you for stretching out your hand for me. Thank you for rising again for me. Tell him that. And then just say this. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, to be the king of my life. As we continue to pray, if you truly meant that, my friend, the scriptures say that you will no longer perish with an eternity of restlessness, but now you'll have an eternity of rest and peace and joy and fulfillment like you could never even imagine. And it actually begins right now. Father, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Help us to not be sinful and to take rest as Jesus followers, that we would honor what you've told us to do, that we would follow, not as a suggestion, but as a command to take rest, to help us personally, relationally, and spiritually. We love you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you made a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to rest in Jesus today, we want to encourage you to not walk alone. Please tell someone, tell a friend, tell a spouse, tell a neighbor, let them know of your decision of receiving Jesus as your Savior. Or you can let us know by texting the number right there on the screen. Uh, we are a church that strives to help people move towards God. And so please, don't walk alone.